space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, a new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim. With me, of course, is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And once again, hosting us is Dr. Squee. Hello there. And this is our first post-Christmas show, so did we all have a good Christmas, guys? Yeah, nice Christmas. Plenty to eat. Yeah, yeah tell me about it. Those who I was with and those who I was able to make contact with uh, made up for those I wasn't able to be with. I, I managed to contact everyone, so we had like loads of Zoom calls. So a good couple of hours of Christmas Day was Zoom calls <laughs> or, or current technology. I think that was probably the case for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, yeah. it's definitely a bit different than normal, wasn't it? Yeah, but. Next year, next year will be better, I'm sure, for everyone. Yeah. But um, we're here to talk about episode 11 of Discovery Season 3, uh, which originally, we said last week it was going to be called The Citadel because that was what IMDb was reporting and Wikipedia and, uh, you know, all the official sources were saying <laughs> The Citadel. And then just after we put that podcast out to make us look like idiots, they changed it and said, no, it's called Sukal now. I also saw an episode which said, or right, somewhere where it said, uh, good day to die. So I was thinking it was Klingons. I, right? I thought that they put it as a third name as well. As long, point. long as it's oh. not a good day to die hard, the fifth die hard film, because that, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Great title though. It just didn't live up to it with any kind of film. Yeah, no, true, true. Um, anyway, we won't get on to die hard five, but. Uh, yeah, so it's anyway, it's called Sukal and it's a big one to talk about. But before we get into it, I read this today. Do either of you watch EastEnders? No. I, I have many years ago, but not really. No, neither have I. But I read this article and I think I might have to go on iPlayer and watch the Christmas one. Because apparently what happens is um, Sharon wants to kill Ian Beale for reasons that are fairly elaborate. Um and she asks Phil to do it, and Phil won't do it. Um, so she decides to poison him by poisoning the brandy that she pours on a Christmas pudding and feeds to him. And it's like, this can't be real. So I'm like, I might just have to dip in in EastEnders because I thought Star Trek were good this week, but that sounds like, you know, next level <laughs> I, I stuff. Star Trek link like was it Syrian brandy nope. was it yeah Marina I was waiting for the Star Trek link no no I just <laughs> was Marina Sirtis finally able to get into Star Trek she's been trying to do for years look that I just case, thought we've got this platform to talk to people about things and I have read that EastEnders sounded pretty I impressive I thought you have to say in the Christmas special the mention that they were watching Discovery because it dropped right. Christmas Day. Yeah, that was good. Christmas Day on in Netflix, not America. Yeah, that oh, was. Oh, we've got a comment. Has someone has someone picked up? It's Colbert, Colbert not Colbert. Colbert. Oh, suck my dick. Sorry, but you write the episode descriptions every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. Sorry, so just as much. Joking, please. Yes, my spends are. I will get. That's it. You've on. just lost. And I've just checked on my Facebook now, and that was Jeff Bezos who said that, and they were going to sponsor us. Um, <laughs> and that's it now. You've just ruined it by um, 
asking yeah, them. Yeah, if you're still watching, it's a really nice one. Asking them to perform fellatio on you. In fact, I, this has just degenerated. I mean, I started off talking about EastEnders, and now we've just gone. Well, that's it. You, you ruined it, didn't you? <laughs> Shall we stop? By the way, whoever, was, whoever was A, sorry, of course. But but if you give um, StreamYard permissions, it can tell us who you are, and then I can formally apologise for inviting you to suck my magnificent D. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so... Um, EastEnders aside, no, um, Christmas Day, yeah, so that was a nice, like, a brand new Star Trek episode to watch Christmas Day and... Yeah, I suppose it made up a little bit for not having Doctor Who. Yeah, a little bit. We got some new sci-fi. Exactly, and it was kind of like I was helping, uh, Chloe do Christmas dinner, so she was like, don't worry, you can watch Star Trek, and I'm sat there and I'm watching it, and it's like, well, you come and base this turkey, oh, oh, no, pause. Uh, we didn't have turkey, never mind. Um, so yeah, it was. Anyway, I got to watch it, and I've watched it again today. So um, yeah, it was nice to have a Christmas also, day. Seeing as it was a Christmas one, <laughs> even though obviously not Christmas themed, this worked for me. Kind of Christmas episode, it was kind of magical. Yeah, it's kind of labyrinthy uh, Princess Bride kind of. You know those sort of fancy tales you yeah. often see on Christmas time. I love that kind of vibe. It, it, I'm sure they didn't plan it like this, but if, no, if they no. did. You know, well, no, because it was meant to come out at a totally different time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, but... Didn't it feel magical Christmas? It did. It felt very sort of the leaning on the fantasy side of it, the fairy tale side of it and everything, and that was good fun. Uh, so let's get into this one then. So this is directed by another new director for Discovery, Norma Bailey, who has a lot of directing credits, uh, but none, uh, none sort of really sci-fi-y or anything that that I'd pick out that um, you know the listeners might be interested in. But quite uh, still has a significant body of work going on. Is there any, uh, like, interesting visual ones? Because I thought this was a hell of a visual episode. It looked really great. The CGI was really well Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they did a really good job. I mean, there, were, there was nothing, I'll be honest, that I recognised particularly, but it sounds like it's a director who's done, like, lots of short films and independent films and that sort of thing, and this is their sort of first move into the more... Mainstream's probably the wrong word, but the the higher profile stuff. So definitely one to watch. And um, written second episode this season, written by Anne Coffell Saunders, who did Scavengers, which I remember you guys were not that hot on. That's where that was the Prison Break episode, basically. She has redeemed herself. Yeah, I mean, I was the hotter on that episode than you guys were. I thought it was just a bit of good fun. Uh, but yes, I think this one's much better. So we we pick up pretty much where we left off at um, the in inverted commas wake for Georgia, and I we talked about this last week with the well, have they told everyone she's dead or you know what's going on? And I do get the sense more that they have done that now, and maybe that's yeah. because of the way the previously on was edited. It seemed much clearer than it did when I first watched it, but. So are yeah, you saying they did or didn't? I like, feel like they, they did. It, they had to wait. They had to wait. They've definitely made it, a pa- told the crew that she's died. Oh my God. Yeah, I, I just, I didn't feel it as much last week, but I, I, I got it more this week. So, and there's a few things going on, like we're, we're picking up these loose threads straight away. We've got Grey back straight away, which has been a thing for a few weeks that Adira's been like, I've not seen Grey, and it, 
I'm interested to see where they go with this because to me it feels like they just couldn't get Ian Alexander was busy with something else for a couple of weeks because it doesn't I don't think they've done enough story wise yet to explain why he's not been there he just sort of said um, I don't know how to be like this and Adira says we'll figure it out but it just all felt to say it's been built up for a few weeks like Grey's gone and it just all seemed a little bit it's almost like they don't know actually where they're going with it Mm, yeah, because it's not something that you normally have from the trill where what the previous host is there walking about with them, yeah. and communicating with them. They like they have the memories, but they're not actually yeah. there with them. They go, they have that ceremony they do, don't they? Yeah, but that, they have to do a big ceremony for that, and it's only to meet them like once. Yeah, yeah, and the ceremony seems in keeping with the whole like we've seen similar to that in DS Nine, but yeah. The thing, it just feels like they've tried to cram that storyline in with not enough space because suddenly they're there, which is a unique and rare thing we've never seen before. Oh, and they're gone. And now they're back again. It's just like, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't I don't feel it. So even if they come up with a satisfactory ending to the plot, yeah. I feel like it's just been so stuffed in there. That it, it just, just feels you know, like... Yeah, it, it feels like someone's had a good idea, but they don't know how to make it work. Yeah, I so mean, they just so they just be just keep getting plonked in there. Yeah, we're we, supposed to just accept it, and it's sort of like, well, that isn't what normally happens. So there's got to be a reason, I'm, for and it, I'm and sure there will to... be. And you know, we don't know what the end game for this is, but the way it's been handled with this him disappearing and then coming back just seems a little bit weird. Though I did love the fact that Stamets bollocks him effectively. <laughs> He's sort of taking on the dad role, like you know, <laughs> you you've you've been ghosting my child, it. effectively, and yeah. Know. I mean, I really like Gray. I find him an interesting character. I find uh, Adira; they are a really great character. I, it's not that I don't love them because I thought right from the beginning they're an electric, very different kind of relationship we've never seen in Star Trek, which I love. Mm. Uh, I just want them served better. If you're going to do that, I think you either had to cap it off in one episode where like she was coming to terms and that was her saying goodbye sorry them saying goodbye to uh him or you had to like you know weave it into the episodes yeah definitely it just seems so forced at this stage i'm so, with you on that and i do wonder you could have sort of when we had the philip uh, episode when we went to um books planet they could have done some of this in that episode yeah i mean they've had a filler episode or what i got that hasn't really done anything to the story, so you could they could have addressed some of these points in that episode. I'm wondering if it's gonna take a much darker turn than what we're what we're expecting from it, because the the way the actors have been playing it is that it's coming across as this very loving, almost sort of a naive sort of relationship in how kind of lovey dovey you know, because they're both very young yeah. and the, there's this lovely sort of innocence to the relationship that seems really endearing. And I'm wondering if it's going to develop into a darker place because arguably you could see this almost as an emotionally abusive relationship from Grey's perspective because effectively Grey has died and isn't allowing Adira to move on by constantly reappearing to them, they're not 
allowing them to have a normal or the potential of a normal relationship in in life like you know i understand the idea that they were they were very attached and they were very much in love but realistically one of them is dead and the other one has the rest of their life to live and and then after establishing this, like, no, I'm not really dead, I'm here, and we're going to see how we can make this relationship work, Grey then disappears for a protracted amount of time with barely any explanation when he comes back. And I don't know, maybe maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I would be interested if they do develop this into a look at an emotionally abusive relationship and ultimately will it lead to Grey having to say, no, I've got to let you go and live your life. And Yeah. <coughs> yeah, I, I, I was just going to say, I agree with that bit of it, the idea that he's got to learn to let go of them. I, I love that. I think if you go into abusive, you really have to give the time to lay down there yeah. and to do it very deftly. I think that's a bit darker than the time they seem to be going for. And maybe yeah, I do. What it needs. But I do uh, wonder I do. if that's somewhere that they're going to go with it. I don't know. Um, but I'd, I'd be interested to see. I just think there's there's enough little bits in the way that we've seen Grey act that if you want to take that reading, you can take the reading that Grey's been a little bit selfish here in that he's forcing Adira to hang on to something which, you know, it do, does can exist in a in a conventional fashion and is that selfish to say well we've got this new thing where i exist in your head that's good for gray because gray's dead but it's not necessarily good for adira but i i don't know i'd, I'd well, just I like be the, very like interested idea maybe maybe the idea that uh they are there or he is there to help them progress in their life they've got a mission but they don't even know it like they've passed on and like through some mystical means because they've added the mystic a bit to this already mm. why not have it that um when she gets sorry when they get a moment of being their true self and really feeling empowered that's when he kind of goes oh this was like this was the reason i was here it turns out then yeah, no, I, I would fully expect it to be something like that. And, you know, I would expect that somewhere down the line we'll have an episode where Adira meets someone who they develop feelings for and then it's, you know, how do I reconcile this with the memory of Grey and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I'm interested to see where it'll go, but it, it feels underbaked at the moment. Can we address yeah. just well, oh, sorry. well, it's meant to be against... Um... It's against true law anyway, isn't it? To Reassociation. You're not meant to have relations with with people from previous source. Yeah, that's true. So that, but... so that you, so it's going against like what the Trill are meant to do because we saw that addressed in DS Nine. Yeah, but this kind of isn't that because the relationship that Adir is having is with their own previous host, so it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it, it get, it, yeah, it can get very complicated. Um, anyway, the, there's uh, not... So, just while we're on the Adira front, I, I just sort of love the, and uh, you kind of uh, alluded to already, I love the dynamic they've got with the, uh, sort of like the family with yes. uh, Colbert. Let, let me let me just make sure I pronounce it correctly. Colbert, no T, I get it. 
uh, with Colbert and <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, whoever that was. Colbert, Stamets and um, and Adira. It's, it's a wonderful, I think they yeah. are a wonderful kind of family dynamic. I, and think. I think that's going to push forward. I think they're going to sort of... Ad- yeah, they do seem yeah. to have done. I mean... I think, he, I think they've already adopted her, just not officially. Yeah. I think and there's like, going to be some sort of official moment or something. And like later in the episode, when you get Culber's going on the away mission and um, Stamets is saying, you know, well, you've got me and you've got Adira. And so they are referring to themselves as though they were a family already. So, yeah, I really like that. Um, right then, so the main plot kicks in. We, we've got, obviously, we had all the stuff about the nebula and everything, so they've detected a life sign. And this is where Saru says, oh, actually, the marks on her face were not radiation. It was a sign that she was pregnant. And I'm like, yeah, I never bought that when they said, oh, it looks like radiation anyway, because yeah. it was like this perfectly symmetrical pattern. And I remember last week thinking, you know, well, no, but it's not going to be that, is it? You know? So I'm glad they got that out of the way quite quickly. Yeah. His reaction sort of seemed to give it away as well. Yeah, but I'm surprised nobody said at the time, well, that's a funny radiation thing. Yeah. So it's this perfect red patterning on a forehead. But anyway. Well, that's for you. They radiate in very symmetrical patterns. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we've got the setup then. There's a Kelpian life form out there, and they're going to go, and they go to the nebula, and it's a big deadly Star Trek nebula that lots of danger and everything like that. And we start getting this thing that's coming in this episode of Saru being a bit unsure and a bit compromised because he's he seems determined to push on even though the nebula's really, really dangerous. And at that point, Buck steps up again. So we're finding this pretty cool use for book which could become a bit silly if we rely on it too much where it's well i've got a little ship that's really snazzy so why do i go do that and he pulls that trick twice this episode so i do like a ship morphing though that's kind yeah of- that was a really cool sequence yeah and it kind of seems to make sense of something because we've seen it in other episodes where they've had to modulate the shields to make the ship a different shape or change yeah. colour. It's kind of cool they've built that into ships now. I love that idea. Yeah, I think it's really good. And it look, the sequence looks great where he's flying through and everything. And it's, it's quite cool having a Han Solo-style character on board who you can go, we've got a dangerous mission, go take the Millennium Falcon to... We don't know the name of Buck's ship, do we? Which is weird. Like, no, I don't think he, I don't think he has given it, it hasn't, a name. No, maybe it's called Grudge. Maybe that's... <laughs> oh, but what, what a kind of cool... Like you say, it's kind of a cool idea to have him able to do that. But it also... I think they've done quite a good job. I think they milked it a bit too long prior to him finding his place on the yeah. ship. But now he has. I kind of love the fact that we're discovering a bit at a time, done very deftly. I love the idea he read the whole, like, manual. Yeah, that's and, good. Like, all the rules and, stuff. and now you see that paying off in a kind of organic way, whereas some of the other things in this series haven't been quite as organic and well... Lady. Yeah, I definitely like how he's used in this episode and a bit more it, on it that later on. It does make sense for him to go, the Discovery's not coping with the nebula at yeah. all. But yeah. it's it's sort of, it is playing up this thing of Saru though, because it's like Buck gives Saru an out. You know, it, it's not that Saru makes the right decision because it's the right decision and he's potentially endangering the rest of the crew. It's books given me an out that I can now go with. 
And that's a little bit iffy. But anyway, there's also a nice little touch. I noticed when they jump out of the nebula, you get a little shot of Detmer looking really relieved, which I'm glad that they've brought this back in because we had that in the Sanctuary where she did all the cool flying in book ship and everything and it was kind of treated as I've faced my fears. And I think we talked about it at the time, like it, it, we didn't want it to be right. The PTSD storyline is done now, and she's moved on, and it's all good. So I like that. There's just a little hint here. That... I think that we're going to come <laughs> back and deal with that some more at some point. Well, yeah, and I think oh, we. I are. hope we. Oh, I hope we come back and deal with it <clears> some more because I'm about to be really annoyed if the whole dealing with it are asking Culber for a chat. Well, I think yeah. this episode shows that it's <clears throat> it's still being acknowledged because she's still showing signs of having that anxiety and nerves and everything about flying into a dangerous situation. So I like that even though it's just a tiny little beat in the episode, that that's still being acknowledged yeah. and it's not being brushed under yeah. the carpet. I mean, I'd like this bit a lot better than later on in the episode. The uh, Helms people give a few little looks which seemed a bit cheesy, but we'll get to that. In a yeah, I think I know which bit you're talking about, but yeah. <laughs> so at the centre of the nebula then, we've got a dilithium planet, which... This is an interesting thing throughout the episode because everybody, and including Admiral Silver Daddy Bear when he appears, everyone's like, this this is it. Now this is the solution to all our problems. Like, we've had this thing about Dilithium was scarce before the burn anyway, but they're acting like we found this one planet and that's going to mean that we can all get back to normal, you know, we, we can all... <laughs> Carry on I, and I everything. Think more of whoever gets it has a huge win. Like you know, when oh yeah, they, yeah, that's scarce. That a yeah, like a, a complete planet of dilithium will so, power a lot of ships. I was just saying, a full planet is is loads of dilithium like, to power the fleet. What I was going to say is, I think like in normal peace times, a planet full would be kind of small fries. In this time, yeah, is everything like that's such a game but changer. I think I, it's... That, that, that kind of gets back to what we've said before of like this series has done a really great jobs of upping the stakes of smaller like what would be nothing to a powerful federation. Yeah. Suddenly, everything is everything. Like if you can get one planet full of Delithium, if you can get one ship which is in good good nick, even if it's from the past, all these things matter now. Like, and you know, a small trifling thing like the chain i think they would have crushed like a bug long ago yeah and now the federation's on the defensive so you can't do that but you do get a line from book where he says something like you know oh the the galaxy's going to be so much of a smaller place now and everything and i don't know it just felt a bit like oh everything's going to be fine well, but well in tos we saw them that enough dilithium for like the enterprise was literally a handful oh yeah yeah so a planet a planet of 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 just dilithium is is probably enough to to sort everything out yeah, because think... it was mined in other places. Like we had, um, oh, Praxis from the Klingons. Oh yeah, and that was just a small moon that they'd mined for their dilithium, and that had been enough to power the entire Klingon Empire for hundreds that's and hundreds true. of years. Yeah, that's true. That did sort I of think... cripple the empire. And I think Praxis also was quite yeah, a small moon. I think they're also suggesting as well that uh, because there was, it wasn't out and out said, but the idea was like, we think the solution to whatever's happened in the burn, at least it originates here and it may provide us answers. So 
a planet full of dilithium coupled with the uh, solution to the burn. So maybe making that. Oh yeah, no, it's. I'm, I am not down. I'm not downplaying it. I'm saying it's a biggie, but I was just a little bit like, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, so the the setup then is, you know, they work out inside the ship. There's a breathable atmosphere. Saru's gonna lead the away team, and you get a nice scene with Admiral Silver Daddy Bear where he's like. Uh, I'm going to leave Tilly in charge. And the Admiral's sort of a bit like, really? <laughs> Not so oh, yeah. sure about that, Saru. You mean Ensign Tilly, your first officer for some reason? Yeah, I, I think maybe he's getting a little bit fed up now. Like, yeah, we're, we're, we're getting a bit dafty. I've given you a lot of leeway, but... Um, At least, sorry, yeah. promote the woman. Yes. Like, look, when you first turned up, you said you were the captain. I didn't question it, but technically you gave yourself that promotion. So yeah. mm, I let that one go. I let it go when you appointed Michael as your first officer and she went a bit crazy. I let that one go. Now you've appointed an ensign as your first officer and I'm letting it go, but I'm not so happy that it could but be... But you're leaving her in charge of the ships <laughs> while you go off on a, a potential, massively dangerous ship. Yeah, a potentially <laughs> combat situation as well, so... Not uh, the one to make her first mission at the con, I don't no, think. Like, no, again, I, I sort of bought... Like, I, li- I liked Elliot's rationale that because it is a permanent uh, promotion and also it's the fact that on ships, they will sometimes in uh, peace times. I think it was you. They will sometimes in peace times give uh, someone like training. So if, yeah. if, effectively, a temporary promotion yeah. is a kind of training grab. Fine, all good and well. I kind of get round it with that basis. But the idea of putting her in such a high profile situation, such a dangerous situation as a first mission, I think she played it a blinder, and you know the character and the actor. But damn it, you do not do that. With yeah, Vincent. it's yeah, uh, it, like. Let's be realistic here. If he was going on this mission, he should have left. Even though Burnham isn't his first officer <coughs> at this time, he should have left her on the ship. Aww. Or a little notch underneath the. Um, or he should have gone. But I'm leaving Burnham in charge. <laughs> yeah. Or you know there is always what's the name Arium Two, who is um, the third l- officer. L- 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 Link begins with L. Yeah, I can't remember her name, but uh, we know who we mean. And she technically is the third officer, and she just must be seething throughout all of this. Like One person's nose out of joint. Yeah, you know, like, I'm next in line, and then you give it to Michael. She's messed up, so she must have been like, yeah, just get me extra pip, ready to put that on. Tilly? What? Um, Yeah. But anyway, so, yeah, you'd have thought she'd have got the comp, but either way, it's all good. Um, just to weigh in a bit more, like just because I think it's lovely that they want to be so starfly that everyone's so accepting of everything, but mm-hmm. like you kind of want some drama, and like that is a natural source of drama to have someone who's knows out of joint by her being given the promotion. Yeah, maybe they get proved right, maybe they get proved wrong, but at least that element in there, just yeah. one. It's like in the wake of George O. Not one person just thought, "Oh no, screw her." She was evil. She thing. was a bitch. Yeah, <laughs> she was a bitch. Yeah, From the moment she came on board, she was a bitch. I mean, yeah, you can I'm imagine <laughs> with Giorgio, I think there's a bit more scope that you can say, okay, not everyone in the crew was in that, was at the wake. So there probably are people on the ship who are just not bothered. But yeah, with the, like you say, that would be a good story, a bit of resentment from one of the characters that, 
okay, I know she's done the command training program and I know everyone likes Tilly, but, you know, I've worked for this and, yeah, that would be really interesting. Um, then we get the... This is where the Michael stuff comes in and it's a little bit rich that Michael takes the high ground of, well, I don't think Saru can be objective in this situation. Like, that is the very definition of the pot calling the kettle black. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, she can't question anyone's judgment. On no, anything. this is the thing. And what I've been thinking about this, and it's like, if that had have been season one or season two, Michael, maybe. But the fact that the first half of this season, her character arc was she's going off the rails. She don't know whether she fits in. She's, she's she's going against orders. Yeah, she's not capable of being a first officer, and all of a sudden she's taking the high ground. And it it just I like a lot of what they do with Michael in this episode, but that just felt a little bit out of place, and it it makes or you want to be. Is it a case of that she's starting to learn what she's done wrong? Is yeah, possibly back up for becoming the first officer again. You see, this is the point. You don't. You this is the thing. They keep rushing things, so. I'm worried that you're right, Elliot, because the thing is, they always rush to a conclusion of things. So, like, one week, she doesn't know where she fits. Next minute, she fits perfectly, and she can give out advice to everyone else about how they should be thinking and how they should be uh, objective. Yeah. Like, she hasn't earned that. Have a little time of her <laughs> showing that she's learned. And well, she did the- have a year away on her own <laughs> to learn these things. <laughs> yeah, maybe she could have another year off. But, yeah, this Again, is the thing. <laughs> That it feels very much like they're building up, and I really hope I'm wrong. That Saru gets busted down to first officer, she gets given captain, until no. he goes to replace having learned something, or maybe as lieutenant. I just, I really hope. Yeah, it, that's. I right. think. Um, I think what you'll. I think Saru will get a right telling off by um, Admiral Daddy Silver Bear. Daddy Silver Bear. Daddy Bear. Thank you. He'll get a right telling off over this. This over what he's done here. But I think he'll he'll keep his cap his captaincy because it'll be used as a learning curve. Um, it'll be Tilly is nowhere near ready for the responsibility he put her under through no fault of her own. So put her back as ensign, and Michael will be first officer again. Maybe. I reckon you give Tilly at least lieutenant start because she's like, yeah. Give her give her a promotion by all means, but she's not ready to be first officer. Yeah, I and I think there's a lot in this episode that shows she's not not ready. Well, this is what I'm saying. I think by the end of this, you go right. Okay, this was meant to be a temporary promotion, so you don't get that. However, you have acquitted yourself really well. Get lieutenant. Like, uh, but again, yeah. it's there's so many other things they point towards. Like the question series object. He stays on the planet as opposed to going back to the ship. Uh, you've got Burnham starting to take control more. They've had um, uh, Giorgio saying just before she left, oh, yeah. he's not the only one with Captain Material in them. It seems to be so set up. Again, I really hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm not giving the writers enough credit, but they're really suggesting that's going to happen. Maybe they're playing us, and I hope they are again, but I, I just don't want See, to go See, I have no objection to Michael being a captain at some point, and I, I do don't... feel like this is where the, the show is going eventually, but it shouldn't be at the expense of Saru, especially I think, after... I think, that sh- I think Michael becoming a captain will be... Literally the last episode of the show. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. And I don't mean this season. I mean the last episode of Discovery after at the end of 
Yeah, that wouldn't Probably. surprise I, like, me. I reckon it'll go season five at least. I reckon but seven. we'll end it where she becomes, uh, becomes yeah. the captain. And that'd be fine. You could, you could even have it so that, like, uh, maybe later on, maybe in the last series, you have Saru promoted to Admiral, which yeah. I'm sure he will and you have her becoming captain. That I don't mind. I just don't want to do it, as you say, at the expense of Saru. Yeah. He's done really a blinding job. He has been a wonderful yeah. He is so, uh, like, every scene, he proves that he's captain material and that he was born to do it. <laughs> yeah, I think if the culmination of this season is Michael's proved that she's good enough to be a first officer again, I think that's reasonable, and I'd be happy I to leave that, it there. I think, we'll get, I think we'll get there over the next two episodes. Yeah, I won't mind Michael that. first officer. But... And- until he's not first officer anymore. Yeah. She's not ready for it. No, I agree. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, then obviously we get them going down for the mission and everything, and they, you have this setup of we've got a four-hour window before the radiation gets too bad, so we've got like a, a time limit, which gets subverted later on, but never mind. And once they beam down then, this is where the the fantasy stuff we were talking about comes in, and the first thing is they've changed species. So yeah. Bur- Burnham is now a trill, and Culber is now uh, a Bajoran, and obviously the the scene stealer is Saru's now a human. And I like that that's introduced with him going, "Wait a minute, my heels are on, are touching the floor. Yeah, <laughs> my heels are on the ground." Yeah, yeah. and and it like it, it was a whole thing of like because you're so used to his movement. Everything. If anything, it was because like most times when someone's in makeup, then out of it in an episode because they find a reason to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not so jarring because even with their face different, you recognise the voice and the movement the same. But I think with other prosthetics, his voice was different. Yeah, his I think it was. Because he wasn't doing the wavy arms and shit. So it was really, <laughs> it was, it took me like a scene just to adjust to him. Yeah. Which I kind of liked. That it off he more. probably loved this. He probably loved this episode. Oh, yeah. Having prosthetics, you end up going in like, his are almost full body, so he's probably going in four or five hours before. Oh, movie. easily. Normally. And the so thing- he's probably thought, what? I don't have prosthetics. I get a lie in. I can get up at eight and show up for filming at nine o'clock. No problem. And the thing and is, the it's. Thing, he, that he was the one who suggested the heel thing, I think, if I remember. Yeah, I think he was. Yeah. So. Fair play to him. He has suffered for his art by his own choice. I wonder how much he regrets those choices now. But yeah, and definitely that was well, him. To be fair, most of his career has been in prosthetics. Yes, absolutely. He's only had about it's only had about three three roles where he's not in prosthetics. I'm not talking about prosthetics. I'm talking about that heel work. Like, yeah, yeah. For days he is standing just on the front of his feet, doing his wavy arm stuff, like ignoring the pain. His uh, yeah, like, it's an incredible physical performance that we we do kind of take it for granted because he, he inhabits that role so much that we just think, oh, it's Saru, you know, but you forget how much goes into it. The, the one ironic thing is that, as you were saying, Elliot, yeah, he appears without makeup and maybe he got a bit of a lie-in, but not completely because they had to stick a wig on him because Doug Jones shaves his head to play Saru yeah. so that it makes the application of the prosthetic easier. <laughs> so even when he gets to be himself, he's got to have some sort of... Do you think it was definitely... Do you know it was definitely a wig or did they film it cleverly around kind of like... At the beginning I mean, of the series, well, uh, as I say, from what I know, he, he shaves his head uh, for no, the role, no. so I would imagine it would have had to have been a wig. Uh, it, 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 it seemed like not too much 
great. I was just wondering if they maybe done it like uh, when they had a break at some possibly, point. Possibly, possibly. Or maybe at the start of the scene. Yeah, this, is, this might have literally been one of the first film mm. set parts filmed. Potentially. I, I'm, my money's on wig. Wigs, great wig. Wigs have okay. a long history in Star Trek. So. Big shatless wigs, certainly. <laughs> Not naming any names, but yeah. Oh, sorry, I did. So, let's... Elliot, you said you've got a theory on this. So, tell, yeah, my tell me... My is fine that they've all changed species. It's fine they've all changed species, but tell me why, if the Be- reason because for it... I think the programme has stood. The programme is faulty, or the programme's deteriorated. Yeah. So, it's literally just scanned sentient life forms coming through, and it's not scanned what species they are at all. Right. It's just scanned as there's a beam through coming through, so it's a sentient species. So it's just immediately put them into a character. Okay, so it's just randomly assigned them. It, it's just randomly assigned them. Okay. And it's also changed the clothing. And I think yeah. the character actually goes with the clothing. Didn't they say something in there about that they had... Like, I thought they actually said something. They changed them to fit the parameters of the program. It does say that, yeah. Yeah, it changed, it changed them so that they'd fit into the program. But, like, they have humans there. And they have Kelpians there, so it shouldn't have been a problem. Yeah, but I think it's just as they've been through. It's not the there's damage to the ship, massive damage. We know that the pro, the actual hollow program itself is deteriorating. So <laughs> I think it's just scanned that someone's coming through, hasn't sort of scanned what species they are, yeah. or registered what species. So it's not thought and just, about it, and, and it's just and it's just automatically assigned so- them into a costume that fits in the program. So you're saying that it's pre-selected characters that they already had generated as opposed to yeah. their own kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, like, so, like, Chad just got, like, Michael got the red coat and all that red suit. And the red suit is around a trill woman normally. So she right. became a trill woman. Yeah. So it's just... And the, the, the silver bomber jacket is on a Bajoran normally in the program. So Culver became a Bajoran. Right. Yeah, I can buy that. And that's what I think it's done. Yeah. Okay. Go on, I'll buy that, because it, it is a weird one. It fits, but... It's a headcanon that works. Yeah, because if it's yeah. like, well, we can't have a Kelpian, so why... Anyway, yes. Go on, we'll go with that then. So... Because yeah, otherwise it makes no sense. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Headcanon head works. Yeah. Especially Kelpian, because it's like, the one thing we don't want him to see is himself reflecting one of the people come to rescue him. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say I can sort of buy that because they've done this whole thing of there is no outside world. So maybe that would freak him out if he saw uh, another Kelpian that's not one of the projections that he knows. But then he accepts Michael as a new projection. So, the, yeah. The other thing I worry about is if he, if they do get him off, they manage to get him to safety, suddenly they all look different. <laughs> like one of them has become yes. a computer program. Like any scintilla of trust he had left. Is yeah, exactly. Really- <laughs> he builds up this really nice bond with Saru. He's like, oh, this human has saved me. And then they get there and he's like, ah! Um, yeah, it could be. Ah, bang, and there's another burn. Anyway, we'll get Can to I that. Just quickly, we, we have had a comment from the floor I think we should date. So um, from uh, Twitch, KJ one three two five three one eight eight J nine seven has asked, "Want to become famous? Buy followers, prime and viewers on?" And it gives no, a we're not interested um, in that. 
Thank you, it looks like spam. No, thank you. Yeah, no, we don't want to. We don't want to be famous that badly. Um, so yeah, the all the stuff disappears as well, which is a key thing that will that will come into play later on. And yeah, they they go into this weird fantasy world. So there's this big locked door, and it, it, something's banging on it, and it's like, oh, it's keeping something out, and all of this business. And that is very much sort of fairy tale esque, and. There's something in the back of my head about this that it really reminds me of something else and I just can't... I've been trying to think and I can't quite place it. But this this idea of the being, to all intents and purposes, a child and then something bad outside that that if they let it in, something bad will happen. That just feels really, really familiar for me. I feel like... Maybe it's a Doctor Who or something. I don't know. It just, there's something archetypal about this story that just really resonates with me and I can't quite put my finger on it. There's a few things I can throw into that. So you've got the babe, like from Labyrinth, obviously. Yeah. And I mean, the, here we get the staircases, yeah. You've got the uh, the fact that when they arrive there, they're in different garb and they're in a strange world. So that lends itself towards Dungeons and Dragons, the like a uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the story similar to that. You've got a bit of, you could chuck in, I suppose, Fear Her, one of the worst episodes of Doctor Who's reboot, where it's a young child, but, but like has monstrous control over her environment. Ah, uh, maybe, there's, maybe. There's loads of things and stuff chucked in there, and thank God this is another Fear Her, because that was built, I have to say. There's also, uh, there's a classic Twilight Zone episode where it's a little boy, and they've all got to like walk on eggshells round him because he's got this incredible power that if they upset him, he can zap everyone away, kind of thing. So there's a little yep. bit of that in there as well. It it's might... a nice super fantasy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's this whole thing of everything that he's interacted with. Um, obviously, we find out it's the Kelpie, and, and we later learn he's called Sukal and everything, and. Everything he's interacted with has been a program that we'd learn his mother built him this simulation and it's been, it's raised him, it's educated him and that's what all his interactions have been. And then it's when Saru suggests that they're from somewhere else that the door kind of bursts open and everything. So it's, it's clearly that he isn't ready to engage with the outside world. Or, I'll tell you what it reminds me of as well. There was a film a few years ago called A Monster Calls. Did, did either of you see that one? And it, the, we are getting into spoiler territory now and um, theory territory, I suppose. Um, so, and apologies if anyone's not seen A Monster Calls now, so I'm going to spoil some of that. But A Monster Calls effectively is about a child who's lost his mother and he's dealing with the grief of it, and the grief manifests itself as this monster that visits him several times throughout the film. And <clears throat> what the monster's trying to get him to do is engage with his feelings about the death of his mother. And I feel like that's kind of what's going on here. I think I'm, I know the Doctor Who episode, which links in with what you're saying now, would mm-hmm. be uh, the uh, the Empty Child, two-parter in the Doctor Yeah, there's that as well. <laughs> Gas mask child, of course, is kind of like uh, they're scared of him all the way through, and then they realise all they've got to do is reunite him with his mother, yeah, and, like the DNA and everything, and yeah. So yeah, there's there's definitely something 
almost primordial about this story that it's... I'm, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, like it's ripping off anything else. It's just clearly a story that speaks to us as people and is being retold and retold in different ways. And <clears throat> so eventually um, you get... They see that that hologram of um, they get you get loads like different uniforms, don't you? Like you see the bit where Kamina joined the Federation, and the program tells them that's where the program tells them why their appearance has been altered, and we don't want to scare the child and all of this. And meanwhile, Michael gets chased by the monster or chases the monster. It's a really weirdly edited scene because she goes, "No, wait, come back!" and she starts running off after it. And then it turns to face her and she starts running the other way. So it's like, are you, are you running towards it or away from it, Michael? What's yeah. the what's the plan here? But anyway, she ends up zooming up to the ceiling anyhow. So and that's in the, the labyrinth sequence. Which, and this is uh, maybe the Doctor Who episode Midnight, says someone on Facebook. Was Midnight the one? Midnight's what, the one where he's on the bus, isn't and it? And the repeating the stuff bus. back and forth. Yeah, yeah. So it's with with the uh, alien, which repeats what they're saying. Yeah, that was a good episode. I remember that one yeah. being good. So it was... By the way, again, if you're watching on um, Facebook, if you give permission to Streamyard, it can tell you who's commenting. It doesn't take any other information. Like I've used it reliably for uh, over a year now, at least. So, uh, but it's your choice. Hey, if people want to be anonymous, yeah, anonymous, it's fine. In fact, if you're being anonymous, that's fine they're too. probably worried about giving the name because of the verbal tirades that you throw at them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, and we some, jump ahead. someone's even offering to make us famous, and you're dissing them as well. You know, hey, that, that they heard about my very gen, very generous offer earlier, and they went, "Oh, we'll make you famous if we." If we that, can do exactly. That. <laughs> <laughs> so, shall we briefly break away from what's going on down on the planet and talk about what goes on on the ship and everything? So, because there's there's an interesting bit there that I didn't pick up on the first time, um, but they they hear the away team, but it's not by the comms. Like Stamets hears Culpa, and Yay. I'm wondering, does this explain why everybody's heard that melody? You know, across that the lullaby. galaxy, because oh. I think the lullaby is the lullaby that the Kelpian recites to Saru. And yeah. Saru recites oh, to yeah. Sukal, and presumably yeah, that comes from to calm the child down. And presumably that came from the mother, so it's probably the lullaby that the mother sung to the baby, and that and ha- however this is working, that they can hear the away team is how that song's permeated throughout the galaxy. And we have said like. Sorry, it skips ahead, but because you've brought it up already. Like, later on in the episode, they do say there's obviously a link. There is a way things are coming out. We'll get there. Yeah. From the planet, like, they're being radiated from So the idea that a psychic message would come and, like, projections would come from people. Like, so the one person which Colbert would be uh, reaching out to would, of course, be Stamets. Yeah. That would make sense. Like, oh, I love that idea. Yeah, that's yeah, that's probably it. Yeah. So that, that was a bit I didn't pick up on the first time, and so I'm glad I watched it again and got that. But then... Obviously, it's all kicking off with the Orions now, and this is... Asira turns up, and she's used a very dangerous warp corridor, which is 
in no way foreshadowing as to what's going to happen next episode. No, no but not, not whatsoever. Just so everyone's aware, there is a very, very dangerous warp corridor out there that that can be traversed. I don't know. If but no need, one would be mad enough to get you. No <laughs> one would be crazy enough. But if you really needed to get somewhere really, really quickly... Say to Federation headquarters. Potentially, potentially. If you didn't have a spa drive and you needed no, to no, get somewhere that, quickly. Somehow hijacked me. If it was like a rescue mission you needed to go on. If and you, you were needed... doing a new telling of basics from Voyager, for instance. Yes, then you may need it. So, um, I really love the... I know we, we, we've talked about Tilly not necessarily being the greatest first officer, but I do love the interaction she has with Asira. Like, she starts talking about Freud and... <laughs> I mean, I thought the niche was a bit too on the money. Like, it was a bit too on the nose kind of thing. But, however, yeah. having something that they could visually cut to very yeah. quickly, show her being a strong captain, because the worst thing would have been if you'd had this thing of her having a failed interaction and then a successful interaction to show she's great. Like, that would have been... That's very dumb. This way, you get to show her being strong. She's not actually bad. She's perhaps not ready, but she's not bad at it. No, that's it. Yeah. She's... I like that. There's a lot of bluffing going on, and I sort of but, almost hoped she were going to do a bit of a Captain Kirk and try, like, a Corbomite manoeuvre thing, like... <laughs> something like that. Like, you know, she was going to say, like, if you try and board this ship, we will activate I think, the... I think Captain Kirk used the Corbomite manoeuvre too many times, so everyone knows it. Well, so but... no one's been it. That's why no one's used it since. Yeah, but all these years <laughs> in the future, it could be a, a new again. Well, but see, that would have been good because Tilly would have thought she was inventing it because she predicted exactly. But then Asira could have been like, "Oh, come on, the carbonite maneuver." Are you trying to cut me, bitch? Yeah. So (laughs) I I really love the interaction between them two, and I thought with Asira even more this episode. Like I I know I pointed out last time that she's the niece of Margot Kidder, who played Lois Lane in the Christopher Reeve Superman films, but she doesn't half look like it. You can tell the the family resemblance. I think. Yeah, uh, but I did feel like it was a bit... She still seems very cartoon as a bad She is. Thing. I thought she was better this time, though. Yeah, she, she couldn't be much worse. But, the, I mean, I'm still very off-put by the plastic yeah. look of them. It just... To have that and then to have a cartoon villain, kind of like... Yeah. I Like, nothing against the actress and everything. It's just the way it was written. It seems very cartoony. Whereas I feel like... Mary Wiseman as Tilly... Got some really great stuff in this episode. I feel like the reason Asira's a little bit lame is like one of the things that you said earlier on that, you know, that was showing that what should be normally a really weak villain in this time can be quite strong. But also, I think there was too much going on in the season to have a really big, intimidating villain. I think you've got to have, like, it. The the Emerald Chain's kind of like a mini-boss in a video game. You know, we can have the proper boss next season once we've laid all the groundwork. Yeah. But couldn't you have had, like... I mean, maybe they're leading to this, that at the end of the series you'll find that there's a shadowy figure behind the chain. Maybe. Maybe that's going to be uh, the guy who they tossed out of the bar. I would love the idea that after he was tossed out of the bar, he beamed up to a ship which was part of the chain. Yeah, I would that would have been... It would have been, like, you know, really the... And maybe yeah. we could still do it. Make him to be the power behind the throne. Maybe not like. And again, mm. it, I'm. 
I don't want to like. Um, I I get the like, feeling with I get the feeling with the Emerald Chain that there's they haven't actually got a lot behind them. They they aren't massive. Isn't mm. isn't right. like fleets and fleets of ships that she has at her command. No, but the galaxy is in such a state she can throw away weight about on certain worlds. Yeah. That's yeah. why I like the idea that maybe there was a more powerful baddie behind her would be that guy. Then. Yeah. No, that'll be interesting. Um, so I also really like in this that we talked about Book earlier on, but Book kind of starts filling the role of Tilly's first officer. You know, he seems to be the one who's coming up with the solutions and offering a different take on things. And again, this is probably what Arium 2 should have been doing. She should, if Tilly's in charge, she should definitely be the first officer. But instead, Book's kind of getting to fill yeah. that role. Yeah. Well, this is discovery all over. Why, why build up one of our characters we've had all along and not build up? Whereas we could take a new character instead. Yeah, it's weird, but I don't know. I like Book, though, so we'll let him off. I love him. I, think he's I like Book as a character, but it's that thing that we're coming back to that we've got. We've still got all these bridge officers. Oh, yeah. Nearly at the end of the third season, yep. we still don't know much about them. Yeah, it's true. Which yeah. is it, it's ridiculous for for Star a Star Trek se- series yeah. to have the crew like this. Like to be to be honest, I think I know more about the bridge crew of Lower Decks, even though <laughs> yeah. they weren't main characters, than I do do of the bridge crew that are in every bloody episode of Discovery. Totally. And I yeah. think also the whole idea that um, it's the fact that, that at the moment they are letting but basically just like, oh, you want to rule broken? You've got him here. You've got yeah. his ship. That's all. I think at some point uh, the Admiral has to pull them in a little bit on that as well. Yeah, Especially it's, if the Federation gains more power again. Yeah, it's got to be either you join Starfleet and you play by the rules or you are not allowed on the bridge while yeah. everything's going on in a tactical situation. But yeah, anyway... Um, so back on the planet then, um, we get a load of cool stuff like, we find out basically the reason it's all weird and the stairs and the door and everything, it seems to be like a sanctuary that the kid's built for itself, um, based on a storybook that the Elder shows Saru. Yeah. And there's there's an interesting thing there where they talk about the all-seeing eye, the Ba'ul symbol, but it's now become a symbol of protection. You know, so whereas it was bad in Saru's time, over a thousand years, it's become something something better. And I like that idea that it's showing how the culture's moved on in the time between. Yeah, um, that's and the monster itself is based on Kelpian mythology, so that makes sense. Well, why the there's... monster seems like it's based on the bowel. Yeah. But again, the monster seemed to be very... I mean, it's fine, but like it, it, it didn't seem to be the main focus, which actually I'm okay with. Like, there's no yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, I think it's just been so, it's something that when the, when the child gets frightened, the monster comes out. And I think and we're going to get more of the monster next week, I think. You know, we're, we're very pointedly leaving people down there, so we're going to get more going on with that. Can I also go, <laughs> I, one thing, when they had the Elder Calpian, and they were saying, it's like, uh, do you want to hear a story? And Saru said, no, I was screaming at the TV, come on, no, I would love a story from that guy. Come on, that Yeah, would be that guy looks like, like he's got some good like stories. Now, uh, this is just a completely random detail, but it just reminded me of something that amused me. 
Um, there's a bit where just before they walk across the really cool floaty platforms towards the big um, thing, Culber sort of reaches up and just touches the side of Saru's face and then they carry on walking. And it's really odd, but it reminded me of a friend of mine who works in retail. Um, he does that to customers just to see if it freaks them out. Like, he'll say, he'll say, let me just show you something over there. And he'll just reach up and touch the face really briefly. And he does it to see if they go, what are you doing? You know, but, so that just... You haven't done that in recent months or year. No, I'm sure not. <laughs> um, so that, that reminded me of that, um, which just, it just seemed a weird thing for Culver to do, but... Um, it seems a weird thing to do in retail when you're trying to sell something. I think you've got to amuse yourself, you know, when you're working in long hours in retail shops and everything. And, you know, I, I've seen the bonus checks that he gets, so something's obviously working, but <laughs> there you go. Um, so it all kind of kicks off and everything. Oh, we've, I missed the bit where Michael, where she's pretending to be the program. And this is kind of both halves of Michael Burnham. It's, it's good Michael and bad Michael all together. Cause it starts off, she's pretending to be a program. She pushes it a little bit too far and Sukal starts getting a bit freaked out. And, uh, he says, reset program, reset program. And she pretends to be reset. And you think, oh, this is really good, Michael. Well done. You 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 play into the situation. You're ingratiating yourself. And she goes, yeah, I'm reset now. So tell me all about this. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> You've just jumped straight in the deep end, <laughs> even though you went to quite... I, I, I sort of thought it was quite clever, though, because it, she acknowledged his reset request. She eased off a bit, but she then goes, oh, Pardon me, but my program's a little corrupt. Can I just ask you this? It's yeah. Sort of like the way continuing whilst making it a bit easier for him, but yeah. without kind of losing. I, I him. just thought she went in for the kill a bit too quickly, <laughs> and it didn't work. So there you go. But there had to be a reason for her to. Yeah, of course. A, a time wise, it made sense, and B, there had to be a reason for her to fail through to sweep. Yeah, so I can't wait. Of course. Um, and then this is where we find out the cause of the burn, finally. So the monster Ooh. goes for Sukal, and in his fear, this wave goes out that is a very lower-powered version of what happened with the burn. And they conjecture that, well, it must have been a more powerful version of that is what actually caused the burn. And I think I'm, yeah, I'm okay with it. You sound yeah, less so, Elliot. I'm sort of like, when they sort of start trying to work out how it's happened and it's sort of like, it's adapted to the planet and the radiation. It's sort of like, surely, like, I know how evolution works and and you do adapt, and creatures adapt to environments, but you thought <laughs> as a five-year-old, adapt to a radiation that's going to kill you in a day to suddenly being psychically linked to it. <laughs> no, I think there's more it, to it. It, it. it seems... Yeah, I think I think there's much more to it than we've been told so far. Yeah, but yeah, we I, have I do have a like... theory about it. Go on. And I, I have mentioned before uh, this season, and it's this dilithium planet that's linked to his... Um, that is obviously linked to his trauma, and it sent out this wave mm-hmm. that's caused the burn. And I assume 
the burn has been when his mother's died, which is what's caused him such trauma and heartache. That's yeah. sent out this huge wave that's hit everything in the galaxy. And I'm wondering if this is the same dilithium planet as Queen Poe. Maybe. Who who had a she had a, a dilithium planet and she used to say it's my sister and yeah. talk to it like it was another being. Oh yeah, that's a good point. And I'm wondering if this is the same planet and and it is telepathically linked. Yeah, to it almost has like and a symbiotic planet, relationship. The planet has um, protected him. The planet has altered him that, to survive the radiation. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. I like it. I, I would also add, though, there's like, you know, on the front of things we don't know yet, we also don't know how he's like, he would be 100 years old at least. I think it would be at this stage. It'd be 120, so why, 125 years old. Yeah, so why why is it justified that he um, doesn't look that age? We don't know a lot about how Calvin's age, so that counts for somehow. Well, the, like, the, it's the hologram program altering how he looks. <coughs> the same as it is with uh, Saru, and Michael, and Gulba. The thing so is, things which are unanswered. well, the thing is, within the time frame that Discovery started in, nobody knows what the Kelpians' natural lifespan is because they were all culled by the Ba'ul. Exactly. So they could live for thousands of years, for all we know. But apparently the, there's not one Calpian ever who was away from people when it happened. Like that was just everyone does it at the same time and they're always aware that it's happening, always around people. Well it's very lucky none of them discovered it ever. Well this is what makes me wonder, like, if if we're assuming it's the trauma of his mother dying, which makes sense because we, we knew he was about four when the burn happened. So what happened when he went through Vahari, you know? Like, was that not traumatic? Did did not something happen there as well? Who knows? Maybe, maybe over the maybe um, over the thousand years since Saru went through Vahari and discovered that it does, you don't actually die. Ah, uh, yeah. This happens that the Kelpians do have something, and it'd be quite early on into the program. You're right. The They've evolved out of it, haven't they? Because the Admiral said to him, you're probably the only Kelpian that still shows traces of Vahari. So the implication is that the they've evolved. It, it's gone from evolution now, you're right. Um, yeah. So we're getting towards the, the end and the build-up to the cliffhanger and everything. So um, Saru and Culver are going to stay. Adira beams well, down. We have, well, we've also had, like, we have this mini burn and it has effects on Discovery straight yeah. away. Well, it uncloaks the ships, doesn't it? So that, well, that's what we'll leads to, to... We have to um, purge the dilithium chamber and turn off all power. <laughs> yeah. And that's what leads to them them being boarded and everything. Now, the guys who board and grab hold of Stamets, I love the fact that clearly we've spent a lot of money on these last few episodes... We're not doing Orion makeup. Stick a helmet on them. So these two guys turn up. Helmets, boom. Works for me a lot better no. than when in bloody um, the Calvin timeline. We're going on to now the here, yeah. Like when she, when they do it. uncloak, this is where Tilly falls down to me because she hesitates with everything. Mm. She goes, "Get get weapons ready." No, it should be fire weapons. And um, she tells Stamets what to do to get. In the chamber, and he starts having an argument with her. It's no, get fucking in the chamber <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. We need yeah. to move. We can, we can jump back anytime. Yeah, if we get away. But if we stay here, we're not going to be able to. 
let's face it, she should have jumped at the first sign of danger because then no one knows yeah. that they're on the planet. Yeah. Number one, you can always come back later. And she yeah. gave everything away. I suppose Stamets' reaction to her shows a bit of subtle characterization that even though they all give it that say yes business, he doesn't respect her her authority because he's no. willing to say no I'm not doing that I know it's yeah. extreme circumstances because you know his partner's on the planet and everything but if your captain yeah. tells you that you've got to do that you've got to do it but so like like um, Ian said the first sign of danger she should have oh, yeah. jumped out absolutely should have she could like they can come back for them yeah but if, if they jump away Osiris tracking them she jumps away then Osiris going to track up to wherever they've gone and they could just jump back again. Yeah, yeah. theoretically. I mean, Osiris would probably have stayed at the planet to try and harvest the dilithium, but but yes, it, tactically, she probably should have jumped How away. Had he picked up on the dilithium, if they jump before she does many scans... I don't think she had picked up on it, because... Well, they do they've speculate... Been in, they've been into the neb- nebula to discover that the dilithium yeah, planet's there. Yeah, Osiris outside the nebula. True. Osiris at no point references the Dilithia, so I think the suggestion is she doesn't know what is down there. Yeah, you're right. She's <laughs> after the spar drive and everything, yeah. Yeah, I don't <coughs> think she'd have gone straight for Starfleet headquarters if she knew there was a Dilithia planet there. She had Discovery. She'd get the other prize as well. Yeah. So we're left with, then, we've got Culber, Saru, Adira, who beams down... And they're on the planet. We've got Michael and Buck in Buck's ship adrift. If only there was a, I don't know, a dangerous subspace corridor that they could use. But you'd to, have to be really crazy to use. You'd have to be really crazy. Something like that, maybe. Mm, who knows? And then we've got Discovery, boarded, kidnapped, jumped away with the Viridian. Um, so, yeah, pretty exciting End of the episode cliffhanger. This was great. Yeah, it's sort of... It's like your season-ending cliffhanger level, but we've got two episodes of the season to go. Yeah, now... I, I honestly think that this is part one of a three-parter. Oh, yeah. Because I'd be really surprised if they wrap everything up next episode and oh, then have it... Next have, episode... Have, and then have it empty for, well, what do we do in the last episode? Next two episodes. By the way, how many episodes have we got this series? 13, we've got two more allegedly. So it's a shorter run, the series. Yeah? Yes, but there was also meant to be 13 last season, and then the week before the finale, they said, no, it's a two-parter now. That's yeah, fine. I think, I think that we're definitely on 13 this yeah. time because of how it's had to be put together this, this yeah. year. Well, what I really want, though, I want these last two episodes. I want a big... Fuck off, epic space battle with all those ships they teased us with. Yeah. I want this we, to be Discovery's best. We were, teased, we were teased again, weren't we, with a space battle? Tilly could have had a space battle and she didn't. No, 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 no. You underestimate what I want. I want all <laughs> the Starfleet ships. Oh, all yeah. No, no, I'm with you on this. I'd love to see a huge battle. Some we didn't I think, I think next episode, things are going to go even more downhill. Guys, that we're going to have even even more's going to go wrong. So we know Osiris headed to Starfleet Command. I think she's going to take over, but we know a lot of the fleet's been sent out. Yeah, they've got Kamina. Yeah. So I think that we're going to have she's going to be sat in um, 
Starfleet Command at the end of next next episode, loading it up. Um, Michael's going to find a really dangerous tunnel of some sort that he'd be crazy to use. And she's not going to go straight after Discovery. She's going to go to Cabernet to, to rally the fleet. Oh, that'd be interesting. Guys, I do have to go pretty soon because yeah. my chips and tea have just arrived. Excellent. Um, well, well. Though, can we just uh, recognise all of us? Because I think like we've already addressed this by our comments previously, but uh, there was that that uh, like it's it's Trek news. In fact, like just let me very quickly get the banner. There we go. That feels better. So um, Michelle Wiseman did say, oh, sorry, uh, Mary Wiseman did say this week about the uh, hater comments about bat shaming Tilly. Mm-hmm. I think we all said it best when we said. Killy is hot as hell episode and just leave it at that. Oh, personally. And also Killy your your on screen graphic, Elliot can appreciate it most because he's got Captain Killy's <laughs> boobs pointing right at his face, which well, we haven't came <laughs> for that, but it's happened that way. I yeah. I didn't realise I haven't seen online comments that have been uh, negative towards Mary Wiseman, so I wasn't aware that was the, even happening. Yeah, they're but ridiculous. But she's dealt... Like, we do know there's the fandom menace out there, so they wouldn't surprise me with Yeah, but she's dealt did. with it very gracefully, very professionally, and um, very bluntly, which I think is well, befitting. We, well, can we all just say, quite frankly, on Retrek, we all think Mary Wiseman is as hot as... Yeah, yeah but, I think I mean, that's yeah. reasonable. <laughs> I will even like to just, just in case anyone mistook my comments from earlier in the series, because I did say in the first episode, she looked like she had put on some weight compared to the end of the last series. I only mentioned that because it's meant to be right after. That was the only context. I don't like, be whatever size she is, she's like still lovely. Just that, that wasn't meant in that context. No, of course. Um, well, I think that just about does us for this episode then. It was a big one with all sorts going on. Um, most likely it'll be the same again next week. And yeah, that'll be I on. Think we've got two big episodes. I think so. That'll be on a New Year's Day in the UK as well. So that's something to look forward to. In fact, we got Doctor Who, Star Trek, and the new season of Cobra Kai. So 2021 is definitely off to a better start than 2020. We fucking need to be. <laughs> so in the meantime, if you want to get in touch, we're on Facebook. Search for Retrek. You can email us retrekpod at gmail.com or you can tweet us at retrekpod. Dr. Squee, have you got anything coming up this week? Well, look, I won't even pretend to, to lie. Uh, on New Year's Eve, we've got the final show of the year for the Dr. Squee show, Thursday, 9 till 11, uh, GMT <laughs> at the Bear.Live, and we're uh, doing a special mashup show with the show which you come before me, which with Al Galpin, so we're, we're doing a special thing. I would also just like to quickly give a plug. In a couple hours at 8 o'clock, again, um, GMT, I'm going to be back on the streams talking uh, due south by southeast. And this week we're doing, as a special end of year fun light episode, we're talking about what uh, different TV shows would we cast the people from due south in. And <laughs> I might have gotten Trek Direction if each. Excellent. <laughs> and uh, will you be able to pick that up as a podcast? Because this will probably go out after you've recorded it. So Yes. If, if you're watching it later, then go to, um, well, you can either watch the video on the Due South by Southeast group on Facebook, or you can go, or Twitch, or you can go to um, Due South by Southeast on your favorite podcast. And uh, by the way, if anyone else is listening, please, it's okay. <laughs> I think that was an important statement, and I'm glad Unless that you're yeah. watching, but that's not. Well, on that bombshell then. <laughs> Thanks for trekking with us this time, and we'll see you next time on the retrek. Thank you. Bye bye.
Goodbye and live long and prosper. Why the button? I was too busy dicking around. I didn't like that. <laughs>